throughout the ages, the painter, the sculptor, the artist, you notice a trend. A lot of artists aren't all there mentally or have a lot of unique quirks about them that people will look at and think they stand out, but in a good way. And welcome back to the Meet We Podcast, where today we have discovered, or at the very least we've known about, a certain artist that a lot of people do know, not, not because of anything particularly positive. A lot of people in the music areas, in the music circles of the internet. Wesley Willis. If you guys don't know who that is, I'm more than happy to introduce you to this unique artist. Wesley Willis is someone who I think of... I just watched a documentary, right? I did a lot of research on this person. And I'm charmed. I'm very charmed by the person. There's just something about Wesley that you just like, you know? It's like if you met this person on the streets, you would think you knew them your entire life. They are so charismatic, and yet they were a troubled artist. I say they were a troubled artist not because of not because of who they were, not because of decisions they personally made, but just sometimes life deals you a bad hand. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of us artists do understand that, which is why I related so much to Wesley Willis. Anyway, let's talk about him. I'm just going to come out of the bat and say it right now. A lot of you people don't know who this person is. However, you've heard the song, Rock and Roll McDonald's. Yes, that was Wesley Willis. Wesley Lawrence Willis, born May 31st, 1963. Or if you don't know him for that song, then perhaps you know him for his very famous Chicago skyline, not paintings, but drawings. You see, Wesley was very talented in that he would get very big pieces of essentially cardboard or not cardboard but very big canvases of his own that he would buy at the same store every time and he would go out of his way sitting down outside of Chicago looking around and just drawing whatever he saw from his perspective that's what he drew and the thing is I've seen these drawings and I'm actually very impressed like his eye for detail is immaculate, absolutely stunning. And, and he did this with pen, okay? That is what blew my mind more than anything. I've seen some artists who have an immaculate eye for detail, and they'll be using brushes on oil, acrylic, linen stuff, all this really expensive stuff. Not Wesley. Wesley, you know, kept it simple. Just do what you know. Here's a pen, here's some straight lines. His, his eye for detail, that's what blew my mind. Wesley was an deeply, deeply intelligent person. I don't know how to explain it, right? The documentary that I saw, when he was drawing, he would write license plates on cars and he would remember the numbers. And I saw a lot more stuff, right? I guess a lot of people in the documentary seeing it wouldn't have taken into consideration the amount of of numbers that are on a truck. But he wrote down the entire US DOT number on trailers when drawing them. That is a lot of work. Those are long numbers, and he remembered all of them. And if you look up the trailers, they are real. They're actually registered. That's incredible. And he saw this, memorized it, within the span of a second. That is incredible. Can you see now why I was interested in Wesley? What got me originally, right? 
and I'm just being honest. What got me originally was the meme. The rock and roll McDonald's. Okay, it's just, it's an interesting song, right? What's even more interesting is even though it's one, out of tune, two, offbeat, and three, just not well produced, you know, in terms of uh, music standards, it has a lot of listeners. It's got thousands of people listening to it. Wesley has a cult following online who to this day are still active. Like, th this isn't something that just happened and disappeared, okay? No, Wesley is loved and adored by everyone who met him. Wesley was also well-known for one thing. If you met him, even for a few minutes, you would, you would be his friend. Wesley was very talented at one thing, and that is communication. The man could talk to anybody, no matter what. In fact, everyone who spoke to the man even recalled leaving thinking, wow, that is, that's a good guy. And they remember him. They remember Willis. I don't know. I, 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 I've never met someone like that, but after seeing the documentaries, you just, you just get this positive vibe from him. The thing about Willis as well is that he, he has this genre of music that he never claimed himself, right? He always claimed he was a, he, he played rock and roll. That's what he would call himself, okay? He'd, he'd say, I'm a, I'm a rock star. That's what he'd call himself. But truth be told, it falls under the category of outsider music, which is something I'm very familiar with. Essentially, it's within the, within the binds of music, but not within the binds of a genre. Essentially, it's so unique sounding that it falls under its own category. I would say this is Willis Rock. Why not? That's absolutely what I'd call it. Because even though, again, like I said, it's not, it's not your traditional music, right? A lot of people are going to hate it, in fact. But I, I, for one, actually kind of, uh, I vibe with it, you know? Like, I listen to it and I think, it's not what I normally listen to, but I fuck with it. Like, wow, that, that, I'm bobbing my head here listening to some Willis. There's that song he, um, there's that song he made, um, Batman Kicked My Ass, I believe? I think I said it wrong. I whooped Batman's ass. That's what it was. Now, here's where we get into the, the more serious side of the artist, right? There's always this trope of the starving artist. Not, not Wesley. Wesley's unique in that Wesley is, even in the documentary I watched, Wesley himself said, I'm a hustler. And he absolutely was. Because the man never stopped. Okay? Like, as soon as he finished a drawing, he would sell it for like 10 bucks. A really cheap price, right? And as soon as he finished it and he sold it, he'd immediately start again. He would go and make another one. Or he would sell an album as well. And he was so nice about it too. He wouldn't shove it in your face. He wouldn't go, buy this album, buy this album. He'd go, would you like to buy an album? And if he said no, that's fine. And he'll still start a conversation with you. He was such a genuine guy. I loved him. Honestly, I never met the guy, but after watching the documentary, consider me a fan. Wesley fans, consider me a fan, because, yeah, that's, <laughs> honestly, I just, there's, there's something so charming about him. Y you have to watch the documentary. It's on YouTube right now. Check it out. There's another one that you have to pay for, but honestly, I'd say it's worth it. I don't want to spoil too much about what the documentary said. They put it in far greater words than I could. But in order to summarize the first 20 minutes of the entire thing, we could simply put that Wesley's life growing up was not easy. Unfortunately, he had to deal with a lot. He had a lot of brothers and sisters, but he had uh, not the best family life growing up, which, you know, that's, that's usually fuel for an artistic fire right there, which is, you know, exactly what Wesley did. And of course, Wesley, of course, would go out and 
that's how he made his money. Uh, again, uh, mentioning earlier, the pen drawings with all the details and, you know, just a bit of marker to color it in. Very well done. And he would turn a profit. Like, he would actually go out and make a decent amount of money doing that. Which is nice, you know. I'd, I'd like to do that. <laughs> Wesley is a bit of a hero to me then. Uh, seeing that, I guess you could say I'm inspired. Because if Wesley could do it, then I could. That's one thing that I liked as well. Is that Wesley... Wesley got the attention of people, right? Like, he, he would also always listen to music. I think that's something that we can all agree with, right? We can all universally accept that. Let's say we're on a long bus ride, which normally he did. You want to listen to music. You don't just want to sit there in silence. It's awkward. You want to chill out. You want to hear some music. You want to enjoy the ride. It's something that he would call... He would call that a joy ride. Which, you know, that's nice. But here's where we get to the more serious part. Life sucks okay life is not all about just enjoying it life isn't life can suck sometimes okay i understand that wesley at age 26 was diagnosed with schizophrenia and one of the things that really stood out to people is that willis would encounter what he called you know um what he would describe self-describe as demons which um Again, he was schizophrenic, so what, these were delusions brought on by his schizophrenia. And sometimes he'd be on the bus, or a majority of the time that they happened, he would be on the bus. And when he started hearing these quote-unquote demons, that's when he would consider it a hell ride. And that's when, that's when he started making music that was a, a lot more, I, I guess the term was more mm, gross. You know, a lot of stuff that would essentially, quote-unquote, gross out the demons, such as uh, primarily bestiality. He, he, he did that a lot. It's not every song. Don't get me wrong. It's not every song. But there were some songs that he specifically wrote to get rid of the demons in his head. And it was... Um, I, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, it's one of those things that you hear about an artist, and it's hard to defend, but he had schizophrenia, you know? There's also an event that was very, very important in his career, which I would say is a hallmark. I wouldn't say it's something that, you know, absolutely had to happen, but it was definitely something of notable event. And that was the, the scar on his face. If you ask him about it, if you asked him about it when he was still alive, um, he wouldn't want to talk about it, but then he'd tell you anyway. Um, he was slashed in the face with a box cutter from someone who was trying to rob money from him in order to buy cocaine. These are words from his mouth, okay? But what interested me a lot about, you know, about Wesley isn't just the fact that that happened to him, but he wrote a song about the event. He was very open in his music. That's what I like about, um, certain artists when they do that. I absolutely love that. When they're open about their lives in their music, that's, that's something that's, that should be cherished. That's something that you hear and you think, I, I like this person. They're really putting their heart on their sleeve. And Wesley did just that. Talking about an event that was absolutely, you know, traumatizing to anyone. And he was fine with that. He, he wrote the song. He'd play it out loud in his shows. And yeah, it's, um, he even drew a, a little depiction about it. Uh, the person who slashed his face is doing time in jail. He even gave the exact address where it happened. That's surprising. He also worked out how many days are in 200 years in jail. <laughs> he worked it out in his head, too. That's impressive. <laughs> 365 times 200, that's, that's fucking, you know what, I'm going to pull out a calculator just to get a number, because I, I can't even figure it out, 73,000, yeah, there it is, 
Okay, that's the thing though. I got seventy three thousand, but he accounted for leap years and everything. That's that's impressive. Aside from his unique number ability and memorization, the sad truth was Wesley did have a lot of trouble with not with the law specifically, just. The sad truth is, when you have schizophrenia, you tend to have these delusions or you hear things, right, that aren't there. And specifically, Wesley pulled out, um, during the documentary, he pulls out a bottle of pills and he says, I need these for when I'm hearing voices. And sadly, that happened quite a bit. There was a pace train or a pace bus. That's what it, that's what it was called. He would take that regularly. And before the schizophrenia, he, he would actually hear music in his head and he would, you know, he'd vibe with it. He absolutely loved it. But it started getting worse and worse. In fact, he called it the demon. He said, the demon in my head um, is ruining, you know, always um, shouting obscenities at me. And on occasion, it would end with him throwing fits because he would, sh- he would shout back at a voice that wasn't there. And unfortunately, yeah, you, you do that. And people are going to look at you funny, right? So imagine, imagine what he must be feeling. When he's on the one place where he finds solitude and peace in this horrible, you know, in this horrible world, he he went on the bus and he found peace. He, it was a joyride. He he just liked being on the bus. He didn't even care where he was going. He just go around, you know. But on the bus, he was a passenger and he was just going from place to place, listening to his music or not, and. And then all of a sudden, the little voice in your head starts getting against you. And the thing is, the sad truth is, his family always knew he had something. They just never knew what it was. He never had, um, he never got, you know, went out and paid for um, medical research or anything. He, he went once and they diagnosed him with schizophrenia. And there are some other stuff that he did eventually go back to, um, to the doctor to see. Uh, other stuff did happen, but... That's further down the line. I'll, t- I'll tell you guys about that later. Because the truth is, you know, it- it's been a while since he died. But still, you know, it's still an interesting story. I-, I, know, I know a lot about this guy. And it took me down another rabbit hole. You know, I love those. I love rabbit holes. Um, this one I just, I just think about a lot. Qu- quite a bit. Uh, after I had learned about him, I just started thinking about it. Nothing, I don't know. It's just, it hits different when you see an artist who's suffering. And in the documentary, what got me the most was I noticed a trend of people who have schizophrenia or mental issues who end up punching their own head. And that is sad, you know? It's a form of self-destruction. And it's one that's, I mean, it happened to him. And during the documentary, he would say stupid, you know, he'd be really mad and he would throw those fits and he'd hit his own head. And it's just sad to see, you know? You see that and you think that must be horrible to go through. I'm really I'm really I'm really looking at this documentary and I'm thinking, okay, he lived a good life. But still, it's sad. And you know, it's sad when an artist suffers. When an artist does suffer, he could put that suffering in his music or in his art. And, you know, he put it in his music and quite frankly, it's some very unique music. Aside from that, one of Wesley's defining characteristics is the little dot on his forehead. By, not, by little dot, I don't mean little. I mean, it's about the size of uh, It's a significant dot. I wouldn't say it's a dot. I describe it as a spot on his forehead, if that makes any sense, which apparently he liked to headbutt people. Not in a fighting way, but like in a nice jovial way. Like, hey, headbutt, and then you'd bump heads with him very, very gently. You know, he wouldn't hurt you doing it. He just, 
he did that as a kind of like a fist bump. There was a fun thing you could do uh, with Wesley when he was still around, where if you wanted to buy a CD off of him, you would, you know, you, you, he'd, you'd be able to buy a CD off of him no matter what, right? No matter where you were at. He, was, he always had one or two, and uh, in his heyday, he, um, he, he was always selling, you know, himself in person. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have someone else doing his dirty work. He himself would go, you want to buy a CD? Regardless of how many people were listening to him, right? There was a lot of people shaking his hand, meeting all kinds of people. Um, and he had quite a bit of money in his pocket, right? The thing that was weird to me is that he never had a bank account. Wesley had this unusual habit of carrying cash with him. A little too much, like way too much cash than you would expect. In fact, uh, like I mentioned earlier, if you wanted to buy an album off him, they were 10 bucks, right? If you give him a 20, he would reach into his pocket to grab a $10 bill and hundreds of dollars would come out with it. Like sometimes it would just spill out of his pocket. It was, he, the man was loaded. Okay. In fact, in one of the, uh, one of the parts of the interview or the documentary, rather, he's talking about shows that he did recently. And he said, I'm not broke anymore. Uh, I did this show. I did this show. I did this show. I currently have $6,700 on me. And keep in mind, People thought he was homeless. If we're being fully, you know, correct, you know, if we're being fully accurate, he really was a homeless guy, but not homeless by, you know, by choice. It was more like, okay, he didn't have a bank account. He didn't have credit. That's the problem there. But he, he was making money. He was making a decent amount of money. He lived, he moved in with someone who took pity on him. Not really took pity, more like they were interested in his art. And he also wanted to get out of the South side of Chicago, which unfortunately, is where the incident happened where he was sliced in the face. Something about the amount of stress living there as well, along with the family life, all the turbulence of of his life, basically, accumulated in in a person who was always thinking about moving somewhere else, you know? He's not broke anymore. I, I love hearing that part in the documentary, because, yeah, he he died, um... Uh, well, we're not there yet. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing my train of thought something's bothering me right now i have a lit candle in the room and i really should have turned it off i don't know why i'm staring at it but it's really close to my charger and i should probably move it okay there we go uh anyway he um he mentions how he's no longer broke and i I love that part you know big wins for the guy he um he got a lot of good things out of life and you know well deserved i love this um part of the documentary as well where he gets on a flight and by the end of it, everyone's shaking his hand. He talks to the stewardess. He talks about how he's a musician. He's going to play here and there. And it's uh, American Transit Airlines, something like that. He made a song about them, too. And he said, when I get the master record, I'm going to have about 4,000 CDs printed. Um, I'll save you one. And he's talking to the stewardess who works there. Now, I don't know. If, if, I, um, if I was given that opportunity and someone made a song about where I work, I guess my place of work, that would be nice, you know, to get a... A song about it um when i heard the song i thought i wonder how they reacted when they heard it because to me i'm very punk rock right i have that i have this um thing where if i hear a song and it's not a traditional song you know it's something very outlandish i'd still like it right i mean i'm blasting death grips on the regular but you know um not everyone's as into that not everyone is as open-minded as i am when it comes to music speaking of which my spotify rap came in and it really blew people's minds that I'm a giant fan of Max Richter. Yes. I never play him in front of other people because I get emotional hearing his music. 
And yet here I am, um, telling you the truth. It feels weird saying that out loud, I'm not gonna lie. Side note, I just found that one of my videos on YouTube, I was never given a warning about it, but I just saw it myself by looking through it, was restricted. So, of course, that's why my videos aren't getting re recommended to anyone. It's an old video, too, and I just now saw it. I just now saw it. It's been up for months. All right, that's been deleted, and if the numbers start going up, cool, another YouTube video coming soon. I think I know where to go. But anyway, back to Wesley. I need to quit talking about myself. Because I think at this point, it's important. It's nearing the end of the podcast, so I'm just going to talk about this. Wesley's... Uh, Wesley's leukemia diagnosis. It's kind of sad hearing about it, you know? When I was watching the documentary, I actually wasn't aware that he died. So this is how I found out. Like, a lot of people had already known, but when, when I heard about this, I thought, I thought he was still alive. I, I, I never knew, right? I, th I thought it was interesting, too, because of the documentary, like, it really goes back into his old life. I wonder how old he would be now, actually. I'm not sure. If he was still alive, he'd be 60 years old this year. So, you know, would have been a long life. But he uh, unfortunately did pass away from complications because of leukemia. The thing is, right, it's kind of, this is the part that gets me, right, is that he was always on tour, always making his money. He loved to tour, and while he was on tour, he never really had a private home, right? He never had a house that he stayed at. He always went to a hotel, booked by his manager, and the diagnosis kind of came as a surprise to everyone, because the thing is, he'd never really gone to the doctor. He doesn't go often, and a lot of people started noticing that he was acting a certain way. They thought, is, there, is it the stress of working too much? Is something going on? He's losing a lot of weight, and all of a sudden, he looks very different, and he acts kind of different. We know he's on schizophrenia, and we know he has schizophrenia, but he's on medication for that. What's this other thing? And that's when they found it. They, he went to get a physical, and they found he had leukemia. And then he was on an experimental medication, which it was working. That's the thing, though, right? He was doing just fine. But sadly, again, because he was always on tour, he would sometimes run out. Um, run out. And it was infrequent, right? He would take infrequent doses. He had to take them frequently, and the medicine had to be done a certain way because he wasn't able to um, either get the medication or he just kind of winged it because he, he wanted to play a show. And a lot of people loved him. You know, when he was at a show, of course he wouldn't want to miss out on that. Sadly, because of this, it did cause it to come back. And that's where he ends up landing in hospice. I don't know if I would say this is a a tragic and poetic moment at the end of his life. When he was in hospice care, he had clocks all around his room. A lot of clocks. And he would draw them. They got him some board and, he, and a pen, and he just kept drawing. The last drawings in his life are primarily just clocks, a lot of clocks. The thing is, right, he did have a lot of clocks in his house as well. I don't know what the obsession was with it. I, I really don't. I'd say maybe the obsession with clocks is um, just, it's one of those things, right? Everyone has something that they really like. I guess that was his. Uh, he, during the documentary, he just randomly... Um, they notice all the clocks on the wall. They say, how many did you buy? They said, I bought three of them. And there's way more than three, I'll tell you that much. But, you know, he had to have his clocks. He had to have his keyboard, his boards, and um, just something to draw, you know? While he was there, he, you know, he, he'd always lighten the room. That's just, that's just how he was. He would always lighten the room. But he would pass away at August 21st in 2003. What gets me, right? What really struck a chord with me right here in the heart 
is his last words. The thing is, right, he had a doctor who was helping him. He really trying his best to get to help him either get better or just, just waiting it out. But uh, Wesley's last words were he called out to his doctor before he left on an elevator. He said, what's going on, buddy? He says, doctor, I love you. <sighs> damn, that, damn, you know, like... Uh, in the in the documentary too, uh, the doctor is he mentions that right, and he just got a smile on his face like he's remembering that moment. Like that's, you know, I uh, why, why do I say that? Why, why why do I say you know? Like I, I I really don't know. It's a powerful moment. It's hard to put into words. So here it is. It is a powerful moment in the documentary in the man's life and for the doctor's life as well. Imagine that being imagine your patient's last words being "I love you, doctor." You know, <clears throat> that hits different right now. You know, something that does get me, though, talking about all this in the most sincere, heartfelt way. I've always mentioned it. No, not always. On occasion, I mention it. I've mentioned it in the past. Memes are how we write history nowadays. Memes are just, you know, hallmarks. Me- memes are highlights in the modern world, things that we want to remember, either funny or in any other way, right? Something of note, period. I say this because I would have never looked up Wesley Willis if it weren't for a fucking meme. This all started from a meme that I saw years ago, and I still on occasion hear it. In fact, it's always popping off that rock and roll McDonald's. They drew like Finn the dog singing it because he does sound very similar to the voice actor, (laughs) but it's just funny seeing it and thinking, think about that for a second, you know, this man's life was brought to my attention because of a funny joke on the internet, that's, you know, you piece things together, what's that term that people use, um, the butterfly effect, I guess that's a valid reason, right, like, it's not just, um, uh, flapping wings, uh, the butterfly's flapping wings affect something, you know, way over here, it's another term I'm trying to remember. It's not a game of telephone. There's a phenomenon where one thing starts another thing. It's a chain reaction, I guess. I guess this would be an example of the butterfly effect. Because if it wasn't for a meme, I would have never looked up Wesley Willis, realizing he's an outsider artist, and you know, being inspired by him because he made a living in Chicago. That's not easy. That's not at all easy as an artist. Having said all that, you know, now that I've talked about the man's life a lot, if you don't look up his life then that's on you, you know? I told you what I've told you. And if it did if it did interest you, there's plenty of documentaries online. Please look them up. Wesley Willis is an interesting character. And quite frankly, I I like it. You know? It, it's it's hard to explain how I don't know. It's like looking at a teddy bear. You know? That's how I feel looking at the guy. I like him. It would have been great to have me, uh, to have met him, but sadly he did pass away before, you know, before my time. I mean, I think if I had met him when he was still alive, I would be like four years old, like very young, you know, but still it's, it's everything about him. You know, it's the songs that were out of tune. It's the fact that he sang about bestiality for, to, you know, uh, to quell these demons that were in his head because of schizophrenia. It was the fact that he didn't have a bank account, but he had thousands upon thousands of dollars just in his pocket that no matter what he was doing, right? No matter where he was in life, 
he would have an album to sell you. And whether or not you liked it didn't matter because he sold so many previously that if you didn't want it, that's okay, that's fine. And then people were going up to him for his autograph. I don't know how much those CDs cost, by the way. I need to look this up. Wesley Willis's art on eBay is $4,000. Holy shit. Okay, here's another one. Wesley Willis, uh, Comiskey Park, marker and ballpoint pen on board. Pre-owned, $2,800, Oh my God. Jesus. And people are buying them. Wesley Willis empty pill bottle, $1,600. It's actually his. People are, fuck, that's wild. Wesley Willis greatest hits volume two. What in God's name? Jeez, Christ, man, that's a lot. And there's a lot of these, um, okay, they have a signature on them, right? The, his art pieces are thousands of dollars. They're pre-owned on board, and they're, look, Jesus. That's a, that's a fucking chunk of change right there. Why do I talk like this, man? Maybe I'm tired. Maybe I'm Canadian. I don't know. That's crazy for this episode of the Meatweed Podcast. I'm having an existential crisis thinking about a schizophrenic singer who no longer exists. And I've had a long day, Okay. Look, I'm just gonna say it. All right, I feel I feel my my soul ripping apart, but there's something I can't say on the podcast because I don't want to jinx it. Okay. Anyway, we still have the sale going on in the Meatweed store. Magic Mind still partners with us. The link in the description. And you guys, you know, have a happy, have a merry Christmas, happy Thanksgiving. I know that already passed, but. I know right now, more than anything, there's a lot of holiday shopping. Be careful for scams. We almost got scammed again, okay? I'm telling you this right now because I know for a fact, I'm seeing the prices of, of Wesley Willis's art, and I'm thinking about what happened earlier. Someone tried to buy my art for $4,000. The problem was they would only use cryptocurrency. I'm sorry I can't accept cryptocurrency, okay? I'm too stupid to work it. Anyway, see you guys next week.